0: Listen
1: to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
0: Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Women's World Cup week.
1: (laughs) Happy Women's World Cup week where um, we should just be given the Women's World Cup because we won 13 to nothing.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Thailand. Just wasn't wasn't your day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wasn't your day. I uh, feel like this is going to bring up a, a lot of existential crises for people. Of <laughs> What do you do about U.S. women's soccer being this good? I'm yeah, hoping... a, lot of, a
0: lot of people uh, who are incredibly concerned about our women winning by too much, but um, don't seem to have any issues with um, any other teams played by, you know, in sports played by other genders winning by too much.
1: Yeah, it's, it's weird, totally weird how that happens. Yeah, this is always miraculous. Uh, a lot actually going on this week, like minor items and not like major ones. So uh, I think, as, as all of you are aware by now, we, uh, we're going to be previewing non ACC conferences for a bit until we get to the ACC stuff later in the summer. Uh, today's Conference USA. But before that, we're talking plenty of Syracuse um, related things. So I guess, first and foremost, um, Jim Beheim's never retiring, and you can pry the job from his cold, dead hands uh, in a hundred years based on his commentary here, it seems.
0: I mean, he's just going to become like a, one of the one of the dead Hogwarts professors and just coach forever.:
1: Yeah, I saw what was it? Uh, somebody from the athletic was saying that he's going to be um, that like they, they cloned him at 70, and then when he's ready to hang it up, they're just going to present uh, Beheim too. And that he'll just take over, and then we'll <laughs> we'll just have an infinite number of like Beheim at seventy um, coaches just try it out there, and and, and th- th- this will just never end.
0: It's really like a wonderful like like Apple upgrade, where there's like one small difference, and and it costs you know four million dollars a year, and, uh, and and everyone will be happy with it. No one's going to not get the Jim Beheim.
1: Yeah, I I think as long as Jim Beheim's around, it seems like he's getting the job. Um,
0: I wonder yeah. if he like secretly has. Like, we know he and Coach K are, like, really good friends, but I wonder if he has, like, secretly really wants to pass him and wins. So he's just like, no, not going not anywhere. I
1: think, I, I like, I, I know a couple of people were saying that Jim doesn't care about Legacy. I think Jim very much cares about Legacy, but, like, not in a, like, public way. I think privately, I think he cares about it quite a bit. Um, I, I think there's, there's one thing he wants to do for sure, and I think that's um, wipe that asterisk off the uh, 1,000 win mark. I think that's something that's important to him personally. Um, And and the other things, I think he'd love to win a second title. And I said in the post uh, about on the blog, I feel like he would probably retire after a second title. I've thought that for a while, uh, because I think he understands the legacy of going out a winner and basically being able to set the terms of of how he's discussed, which has pretty much never happened for all of Jim's career.
0: Yeah, I think the second title is the thing that's most likely to spurn an earlier retirement than you'd think. But I also wonder if he would not want to retire right after it because then it would make it seem like he was acknowledging that his lack of second title was like a whole thing. Um, which is kind of unfair because there aren't that many coaches with multiple titles. But um, I could see it going either way there. Uh, and, and, you know, you're never going to knock someone for stepping down after winning. I mean, there's there are a few better ways to go out. Um, I just kind of don't see it being that easy for him. But this late in his career, it, it's, you know, as good as it's as any.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a very complicated guy, admittedly. Uh, in, in other ways, he's a very easy-to-peg guy, but I think in this uh, specific way, he's very complicated. Uh, those are a couple ways. And the, the other way, uh, without a title, uh, this will also get him to 1,000 wins, uh, coaching to- just to the end of uh, Buddy Bayheim's uh, career. At SU, which would be the end of the twenty twenty two twenty three season.
0: Yeah, that's the easiest like mark to point to. Is yeah. I mean, it would make a lot of sense for him to see Buddy out. Um, I'm still holding on to the conspiracy theory that uh, that the the Elder Beheim will transfer in as a grand transfer uh, after he's done at Cornell. Um, but we'll we'll see. Uh, it, that would make a lot of sense. But based on what he said this week, like he really, I, he's he's pretty believable. And saying, like, he has no plans to hang him up. And, like, he's like, oh, yeah, Autry could definitely be the next head coach. But, like, I'm not retiring. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I said that. That was the entertaining part is, like, yeah, and, and that's kind of, like, why I went with the story. Because if Jim had just said, I'm not retiring, like, that wouldn't have been news. But the fact that he took a, a conversation about Autry having head coaching chops and turned it into, yeah, I'm never going to stop coaching. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> he, could, he could be a coach soon. Maybe it's at Syracuse. But, like, probably not. Like, insert wanking motion. <laughs>
0: yeah, oh, it, it, Adrian could absolutely be the next head coach of Syracuse if he if he legitimately murders me and gets away with it and then is uh, given the job out of uh, brief.
1: Yeah, this seems, again, the, the, it, just the way Jim handled it just seemed entertaining. It's not bad. It's
0: just more <laughs> ha- entertaining. He- he- yeah. It was amazing how he just directly said Adrian Autry could be the next head coach of Syracuse, and said it in a way that made you think there is no chance Adrian Autry is the <laughs> yeah. head coach of Syracuse. <laughs> it's
1: like I hear what you're saying, but I know you don't mean it.
0: <laughs> and, and, that came, and that came through on text, which is not easy. It was not like we, didn't, yeah. so we didn't see him say it. It just Beheim's Beheimus Beheimness just is so evident all the time that even when he's being quoted in an article via text, you still know exactly what his tone is.
1: 100 percent, and and it's it's funny too because like again, if this wasn't about Autry originally, I I would just write this off as like this is just him playing to, you know, recruiting because obviously you know if you have a seventy four year old head coach, if you are a seventy four year old head coach, you don't want to portray some sort of timeline because I, I think I think that was part of I think the the scholarship uh, reductions hurt, uh, obviously Mike Hopkins leaving hurt having uh, a, one fewer recruiter on the trail hurt. I think the other thing that hurt until the, the deadline passed was that three-year timeline because it was something that was used against us. and It was something that recruits, even without another coach saying it, if you go, I'm committing to, to, to this man and his program, but, but th- it's stated that he will not be here uh, You know, by the time I wrap up my time at Syracuse, like is that something I'm signing up for? Now, I think if, if, if the current version of Mike Hopkins was the one waiting in the wings, for sure, then I think the answer is yes. But because that's not the case right now, I think that that's where maybe some of the hesitance has been for for players. And I think hopefully because he's been very very clear about the fact that there is no timeline and he's not even thinking about it, that that it erases any potential concerns. I know you know Coach K is only two years younger than Beheim and doesn't get these concerns. So I, I hope that we're we're back on the right track in terms of. You know, getting rid of that kind of lingering specter of, you know, when when's Jim leaving, and, and what what program am I going to be part of when he's gone?
0: Yeah, uh, it's it, you understand why he's doing it for sure, and it, you know, I think it makes some Syracuse fans nervous because we we thought we were uh, we thought we we had the answer for so long, and now there's so much unknown. But but we just have to try to uh, enjoy the end of the Beheim experience for what it is, without having to without worrying too much on the day day to day about where it's going until we actually get to that point. And then hoping that the uh, program, you know, heads in a, in a smart direction and with, with Wild Hack at the helm here.
1: And I think it will. And I and know we've talked about this too. Like it's, it's, it's no stretch to think that SU is going to have, you know, one of the 10 to 15 highest paid college basketball coaches when Jim Beheim uh, finally leaves the job. I hope, to be that I, don't, I hope to be honest that I don't know anything in advance of Jim Beheim's last game. Like I hope it just happens and 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 then and then he walks away or or whatever it is like th- that's kind of the ending I'm hoping for I, I think for him, based on the type of guy he is, I feel like it's the ending he's hoping for, and again that that's why i'm I'm willing to lean into the um championship or or you know buddy Bayheim end of his career narrative because I do think that there's something that there is something to that, and I think when you saw how he reacted to winning a thousand games the first time around. Uh, when you saw how he reacted to you know the surprise final four run, like Jim Beheim can feel joy and and does feel joy in instances, and and I think a lot of it comes from proving people wrong and and showing that he was everything that he thought he was and, and and you know the people in his corner thought he was. So I think he's done a lot of proving people wrong, and I think proving people wrong one last time or at least one you know penultimate time is probably like what he wants to do to end his career. and He doesn't want to lead up to it. I think he just wants to be able to be the one that, you know, pens the final word on his narrative with no one else being able to weigh in.
0: Yeah. I think if we have an idea of uh, what Bayheim's plans are ahead of time, it's because Syracuse is trying to take advantage of it in terms of making a big event out of it. Maybe uh, finally putting the, the, uh, the floor on the middle of the dome and selling like a billion tickets. Um, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, to say the Syracuse is like put him down like that, but I do think that he would want to just kind of go out without making a whole thing of it. Um, whether or not he gets that wish, we'll find out, I guess.
1: Agreed. Um, some other basketball things while we're here. Bayheim's Army got their uh, their bracket set today. They are facing, uh, we are D3. They're a very on-the-nose uh, team name. They are a bunch of D3 players. So that's good.
0: Yeah, um, I think they played the UCLA team a couple of years ago and played them tough, if I remember correctly. Um, I was heard some discussion of that, um, but being D three players, I don't know much about them beyond that.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, obviously, like nobody we've necessarily like heard much about. I think in general, like you know, they, they want to set up some decent matchups for for the you know home teams to help drive. Um, attendance i think you know this is a good matchup i think armored athlete presents some potential issues down the road um you know really brotherly love yeah like they're, they're, they're a tricky team um there's a couple like new faces in there on our side of the bracket i know espn had us ranked number three uh, in their um in, in their top 64 rankings, which I think is pretty fair. I, I think too, like for anyone that hasn't read Bobby's piece about why Jamal Crawford's a pretty nice fit. I, I think Crawford really does, um, you know, provide that NBA pedigree that maybe puts this team over the top this year. And we've made the, we made the championship weekend, you know, without, Uh, somebody maybe of his like shooting caliber, but I think as this event has, has morphed into like a mid major fantasy of just, let's just jack up threes and run with pace. I think SU's had to adjust and I think this team has adjusted, but I think Crawford's kind of the, um, you know, cherry on top for that uh, change.
0: Yeah. I mean, he has like a a good amount of NBA experience, probably as much as anyone else on the team. Um, He's only 30, so he's not, you know, super old. Um, he's you know he was a great player at Xavier uh it feels so long ago that he dunked on LeBron in that camp <laughs> um and got the the video like well that was him right was that I think I think it was him that dunked on LeBron in that yeah um and the video came out and it was like a whole standal in 2009 oh yeah because oh, yeah, yeah.
1: LeBron's team like literally like tried to bury the, to bury the
0: video <laughs> maybe this honestly and uh, people have very varying opinions on LeBron James um that's probably the single most unlikable thing LeBron's ever done.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I buy that. Here's here's and like this is based on nothing. But if, if somehow, some way, Carmelo Anthony ends up on this team, and I'm not buying it. Uh, but and, and like I know that this is not even this is literally just like random Twitter uh, like speculation from people that because he has you know nothing going on right now. No offense, like that maybe he plays in this event. Uh, if Syracuse wins, d- d- does the, does the narrative automatically shift to Syracuse can only win titles when Carmelo Anthony's involved? And do we just <laughs> lean into that?
0: Oh, we should absolutely lean into it if it if it works. Um, I don't think Mel's going to play this year because he ostensibly still thinks he's going to have an NBA career. Honestly, he des- he deserves better than what he got in terms of a off. Um, much better. I, I, I really
1: hope team. the Knicks sign him for like a one day contract.
0: <laughs> no, but he'll wanna play. Like a one day contract he actually suits up.
1: Yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll actually suit up. That's fine. Just like just just give him like the garden send off, and I feel like enough depending on what happens this offseason, I feel like enough Knicks fans will be okay with that.
0: They kind they can't do it unless they land some people though. Because if yeah, they if they strike out, if the if the T the injury um basically puts the tiebosh on that, plus they can't trade for Davis, plus Tyree goes to Brooklyn, which seems more and more likely. Um if they and they're gonna
1: sign Melo for real.
0: <laughs> then, then mellows mellows it Melo's starting at the three he's playing 33 minutes a game um his d war is going to be minus 1.8 um uh, i'm so psyched <laughs> um no he i mean either way he deserves a much better send-off than what he got last year which was his, for a player of his caliber which is still probably a top you know top 50 nba player uh a hall of famer cinch hall of famer considering some of the other guys who get talked about for it so um after his NBA career is officially done, then it wouldn't shock me. It, the, the one thing is he doesn't have, like, he's just old enough where, aside from Warwick, he doesn't have, like, these long-standing, like, I don't know how, how you know, close he and evendorf are, or he and some of these other guys are. Um, maybe Warwick could get him to the table if they're still cool. Um, but it would be, it would, I wouldn't totally put it past him, because Melo does seem like a guy who just likes to play basketball. And this is the type of event where, you know, if he's already retired and people just assume he's washed anyway, and he and they they don't he doesn't play well, then it's like okay, well, yeah, obviously Melo, definitely his career is done. But if they if he if he's awesome, people are going to freak out about it. And I don't think that many people are going to like make fun of him too much about playing in this event if he's just doing it for his alma mater and he's doing it because it's fun.
1: Yeah, I mean he's going to get trolled by like UConn and Georgetown fans, but yeah, whatever.
0: They are but... on, on field teams, just no one cares. So
1: count the rings. The fact is Mello won a championship at the, at the you know, collegiate level. And, like, and then the post-collegiate level. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, like, you know, whatever. like, But, like, realistically, like, you can't really hate on a guy for just wanting to win a title and wanting to play basketball. So
0: I – Georgetown is is completely irrelevant in terms of their alumni and don't feel a team. And UConn's been through such a, a ringer of ridiculous – hilariously embarrassing moments for their program for a proud program. And they don't feel an alumni team. And Hey, guess what? Every school that feels an alumni team has a really, really good time with it. So they could, they could stuff it if they would make fun of anyone for this mellow or not.
1: Yeah, I agree. It just seems like a lost opportunity for them. One additional uh, basketball item. We had the uh, ACC big 10 challenge uh, games announced. SU was going to host Iowa in a game that seems pretty much like handpicked to be a like father and son versus father and son and son game, uh, which should be a lot of narrative, but that's really it. I, uh, I mainly think about Iowa for just the atrocities that happened at the carrier dome in 2006 when a Greg Robinson led team decided that eight straight tries from the goal line were not going to work when you just run it up the gut repeatedly and you don't do anything else. Um, Again, as I mentioned before, it really shaped my uh, my Syracuse fandom as the first game that I saw at the Dome. But beyond that, yeah, there's no real ill will for for national power Iowa, as, as the esteemed John Rothstein once put it. So I feel like you're, you and I are the only people that remember he did that, so we can't even make jokes <laughs> for like the week leading up.
0: Oh, we'll, we'll make jokes when we get to it. Um, yeah, this is a, it's not the sexiest matchup, but Iowa could be pretty good. They were going to be a top-25 team. Um, losing Isaiah Moss to transfer might make that tough, as is the lingering issue with Jordan Bohannon, who's one of their best players, is having surgery, and he might take a redshirt year and then play a senior year in 2020. So um, that could put a damper on it, but they do have other talented players. They have, uh, I think, like 18 McCaffreys playing for the team um they were good this year uh they kind of had a weird middle part of the season and then they made the tournament and gave tennessee a a real stare in the 210 game um so yeah it's a fun game a very fun game one of the better teams in the tournament i think um so yeah i think it's uh probably an underrated ACC big 10 matchup it's like not the names that you are accustomed to being paired but um quality wise i think it's pretty solid
1: yeah, I mean, this year was weird. We joked about it when it was released where, like, some of these look like they were just, like, putting in a random number generator. And, uh, like, like I mean, and no one wants to see Rutgers Pitt. No one wants to – probably no one wants to see Nebraska Georgia Tech either. Um, I mean, maybe Fred Hoiberg's Hol- Hol- fine. But, like, Wake Forest, Penn State, nah. Northwestern, BC, like, n-
0: just
1: nah. <laughs> n- n- <iones> like,
0: a lot of these are aggressively bad.
1: Yeah, like like just um, like, like Clemson, Minnesota, like I'm nah, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> like
0: it, it's like they they took all the programs with like no juice whatsoever, and they're like we're just gonna bury these games. Like oh, yeah. and then unfortunately, like even like Florida State, Indiana it will probably be a decent game, but like it just doesn't like you look at it, and you're like uh,
1: yeah, whatever, just
0: not <laughs> just nothing.
1: Yeah, because like Florida State's probably gonna like run through that.
0: Like yeah, Indiana does a thing they do every year where they're not good, but then they somehow have like three players over the NBA and they're like, wait, what? And uh, then they start all over.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. I feel like, you know, there's a like Notre Dame Maryland game too. It's like another one that, like, Maryland is potentially a top five team this year and that could end up being a blowout. Like, Michigan Louisville is. I could see
0: Notre Dame coming, like, making a big uh, return because they had so many ridiculous injuries this year they'll, be, they'll Maryland, be better
1: but yeah maryland's very very
0: good i do think like uva at purdue could be really really fun um mission and louisville will be great the rematch of the 2013 championship game that didn't happen um <laughs> ohio state should be pretty good this year they're at unc um obviously wake forest at penn state the game everyone's waiting for um <laughs> and the, the
1: duke michigan state game that i just like don't want to watch
0: i feel like we get this game every year yeah, well, um, because
1: it's either in the champion, the Champions Classic or whatever it is. Yeah, So like it didn't. That's not on. So like they're not facing each other in that this year. So instead, it ends up here.
0: Yeah, like I get it. I get like Michigan State's like the like the the top de facto top Big Ten program. Obviously, Michigan's given them a run, but Michigan State just has like has the title as long ago as it was. Um, it's just like I feel like you get it so often, and you like these ACC Big Ten games that usually like. You think they're going to give you games that you don't really get that often, like. Um, but then, like we, we've seen, like a lot of repeats, so it would have been nice if we mixed it up. I also think the Big Ten, um, with Michigan, uh, probably taking a big step back, um, as it just doesn't have those super premier teams to throw at you. So I guess Duke, Michigan State was like the best option.
1: Yeah, and that's fine, I guess. Uh, before we hit halftime, why don't we take a short break to hear from our sponsors? And we're back with beer. Dan, I know you were traveling this weekend, so you probably have some new brews to share.
0: I do. And I, I thought I had checked into like all of them over the weekend, and then I went and looked at them tapped as we were getting ready here, and I didn't. But I was able to go um, find the ones that I had for the most nice. part. I missed a couple. Um, so yeah, I was in Chicago this weekend with uh, a couple of my friends on a very last-minute uh, surprise trip. Um, I had a decent amount of local Chicago and Midwest stuff. Um, For the first time, I finally got to have uh, uh, Three Floyds. Uh, I had a couple things from them. I think I had the Zombie Dust, which was delicious.
1: I love that. Uh,
0: And the Alpha King Pale Ale.
1: Also fantastic.
0: Really, really good. Um, Highly recommend. I had heard so much about the Three Floyds forever. You cannot find them out east. Um, So those were probably among the better ones I had all weekend. Um, I had some Ironworks Alt. From Metropolitan Brewing, which is I don't know if they're yeah, they're in Chicago. Um I had we stopped at Forbidden Root Brewing Company, which is a really, really good brew pub, excellent food. Um I don't remember a lot of the things I had because uh I was like you know trying stuff from the other people ordered and like doing samplers. I did have their Cranma's boy, um, which was like a, a cranberry warmer. Um uh really, really delicious, really well blended uh cranberry and and uh kind of like malty brown ale flavors um, that went together super well. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I had a bunch of Deuce Island stuff, but nothing like, you know, I haven't had a million times. Uh, and then back here, I had a tiny juicy IPA, which is five Burrows here in New York's uh, Session IPA, which is really, really good.
1: Very nice. Very jealous of the uh, Chicago selection. have not been in a while. And I really enjoyed my uh, my beer drinking when I was there.
0: It was yeah, it was my first time spending any actual time in the city, and it was a uh, it was um, honestly just there basically for a day. Um, unfortunately, it was a really short trip, but uh, really enjoyed it. So hope to get back there soon.
1: Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna be in there next June. One of my best friends moved out there. Uh, awesome. Yeah, so now I have an easy excuse to go. But uh, for my drinking, I had. From Fall Brewing Company down in San Diego, I had Magical and Delicious, their pale ale. A little bit heavier than pale ale I would normally have. So I usually prefer them a little bit uh, lighter, crisper. This one was still pretty good, though. Uh, easy drinking. From uh, Beachwood and... collaborate with... I figure this out. Beachwood and Cellar, Maker. Cellar Maker's up in SF. Beachwood, obviously, is down in Long Beach because I mentioned them a bunch of times. They had a bright, sunshiny day. It was a fruited sour that was super, super good. One of the better beers I've had all year. Uh, went down to Brewery Tarot for the first time in a while. Their uh, sour tasting room had really excellent uh, Fruct Grapefruit and Salt. Their, uh, their late, one of their latest in the uh, Berliner Weiss series that they release. thought that one was absolutely excellent. Unfortunately, though, it like murdered my palate for the rest of the tasting. Um, so I had uh, a 2014 uh, pour of uh, Rousset, their uh, Lambic from back, uh, from, again, back in 2014. Also tried out uh, Brazo Brazo uh, American Wild Ale with uh, blackberries. That was a little sweet for my taste, but still all right. And that was really it. Nothing crazy. I will make up for it in uh, Salt Lake City this weekend.
0: Salt Lake has a, like, pretty... I haven't been, but people have, like, it has a decent beer scene, right? Considering... There's... There, there's
1: like a decent-ish beer scene. There's a lot of rules around that, obviously, but right. yeah, th- th- there's a pretty solid like drinking scene, and there's a lot more options at the actual like breweries versus like if you're just going to go out to a bar. So I will be going to actual breweries to make sure that I uh, th- that I get my drinks worth while there.
0: That seems fair. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's also you know a little little Father's Day celebration. Do a little. I mean, I'm not going to be able to like, you know, toss back too many and still, still watching the kid. Still, still, still supervising a, a, a child who can't do anything for themselves, but still we'll,
0: so, like three or four and then they're all set. And, and uh, then they're all set. You know as many as you want.
1: <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> anyway. Um, so conference USA, uh, Dan, we were joking earlier that this is going to be enlightening uh, for us, for probably a lot of listeners. <laughs>
0: No one knows what's happening in this league. This league is a mess.
1: Yeah, this league is a disaster. We kind of t- talked about them a little bit last week, just in terms of like the the very bad ideas around like banking on cities. Um, specifically, North Texas is right outside Dallas. UAB in Birmingham, uh, UTSA, San Antonio. You have Rice, which is Houston. Uh, ODU. You know, you just have a really big like Norfolk area, Charlotte, obviously, um, and then FAU, FIU in the Miami area, like. The, 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 there's a lot of banking on markets carrying you here, and unfortunately, the, the team brands attached to them, uh, however, don't really make a huge impact and are, and are all kind of second, third, fourth, or even fifth fiddle in their, uh, in their respective markets. It's so, funny, like... Ooh, oh, go for okay.
0: it. I was going to say, like, considering all of the brand uh, slash market-based stuff they go for, like, the most reliable programs in this league um, are Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, which is in Ruston.
1: And Marshall. Um,
0: Marshall, which is uh, who knows, uh, somewhere in West Virginia. Virginia, um, probably probably Middle Tennessee and Murfreesboro, uh, um, Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky, like the best, literally. I think you could probably put like a not a one to one correlation, but a very because like North Texas is really good right now, but like a pretty strong correlation that the more rural teams in this league are the better teams in this league because they have a stat like we talked about last week, they have established football cultures around them. It's like Georgia State versus Georgia Southern and Sunbelt. Georgia Southern is in the middle of nowhere. It is a much better football program than Georgia State. And that's not to say that there isn't thought behind that um, about adding some of these schools or like having your Houston and your Charlotte represented. Um, But it's not the be-all, end-all.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that they kind of realized later, unfortunately. Still, I mean, there's an interesting league here. It's just that there's a a high-ish ceiling. I actually think the ceiling for, for Convert USA teams lately has been lower than the ceiling for Sunbelt teams just because of how good App State's been. Georgia Southern, for most of their time at the FBS level, uh, obviously Arkansas State here and there. But, like, yeah, since, since like, the most recent round of realignment, um, the ceiling for, for Convert USA teams has been about eight or nine wins. And the floor, however, has been zero wins. And, you know, Rice and Charlotte and ODU in their bed and UTEP, have all like tested that? So unfortunately, like you know, this year it's once again more of the same. It's probably a ten-team league with uh with with four like scrimmage squads. Uh, I guess FCS West, or, or I guess back in the day, Division One, AA West um, or South, as it was on the uh, NCAA football game.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird because like Conference USA is always kind of considered by default better than the Sun Belt, but. I think the last couple of years the Sun Belt's been a way more intriguing league, and like you said, with App State and some of those other teams that have succeeded, like a better league in general. And, um, that, that you know, Marshall obviously I think has higher highs than a lot of those schools. North Texas has become very good. We saw FAU surge in year one, under Lane and then really come back to the pack uh, last season. Um, so, like, there are some good programs here. It's just uh, it seems like there's definitely a bit more of an identity crisis than the Sun Belt faces, even though Sun Belt has some of the same issues. And um, the bottom is just bad. It's really bad.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, when you're paced by, you know, Rice, who's been historically awful, like that's just, they might not even be the, best, the worst program in the conference. That's highly unfortunate. I think why don't we talk about, you know, if we get to every team, great. If not, I, uh, I'm not going to shed too many tears. Uh, when we start in the East, look at Marshall, who is, uh, I think, once again, the class of this league. They seem like they, you know, I know they had a rough patch in there when they first got to Conference USA after, like, dominating the MAC for years. This was, like, over a decade ago at this point. But since then, like, Marshall's looked pretty good for the most part. Like, Doc Holliday's done a damn good job. Um, This is now his 10th year, I believe, um, over at Marshall's. He's done a really nice job. I think he's, you know, he doesn't seem like he wants to go anywhere, ever wanted to go anywhere. That would be a garbage can outside for those wondering. Uh, But yeah, he has pretty much gotten by with uh, a nice offense. The fact that he's able to out-recruit the uh, local area by a mile. I mean, Marshall's regularly ranked in the top three in Conference USA recruiting, despite, like we said before, the fact that teams in hotbeds uh, seemingly just can't get there. This year, they do hit reset uh, at a couple notable positions. Uh, Most of the receiver positions, they'll replace a few offensive linemen. Uh, Defense... Replaces about half the guys, but everybody left for the most part, you know, juniors and seniors. They'll have quarterback Isaiah Green, uh, who is probably the best quarterback, well, could be, the, I guess, the best quarterback in the conference, or at least it's close. I think Marshall, you know, once again, is, is primed to win probably, again, eight or nine games. And they have a tough schedule, Ohio, at Boise, and Cincinnati, all in the non-conference, but I don't really see a, a, a Conference USA East game here that, that they potentially lose. And I think Louisiana Tech is is really the big test on the other side. So, you know, it's it's kind of typical CUSA fair of you might get beaten up in non-conference, but, uh, you know, they have every opportunity to win six, seven, maybe even eight games. Um, you know, once the league schedule rolls around.
0: Yeah, there, there's definitely, it's not, there's, it's not like the Sunbelt where we had like App State who has the coaching question, but... Brings back, like, everybody. Um, Marshall has some pretty significant holes. Uh, like you said, receiver. I think the front seven is going to be a lot, uh, very new. Um, but they have up their coach. Doc holiday has been there for a while now. Um, he has what seems like a lot of administrative uh, support because we've seen programs that would have made uh, a quicker, more quick uh, trigger move uh, when he had some struggles a couple of years ago. But he's rebounded really well. Um, so that's always good to see, especially – it's nice to see a little continuity at these, at these group of fives. Um, that's not to say that if like he didn't, if he had like the opportunity to jump to a major program, maybe he would. Um, but it it is cool when like these programs have, uh, their guy for a while. And it seems like he's in there for the long haul. He's pretty ingrained there. Um, that he's actually, they're facing Ohio this year, which is funny It's him versus Solich, who are probably two of the, I would guess five, one of his tenured coaches in group of five, maybe like even top three. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're they're definitely a contender. Uh, their running game should be very stout. Isaiah Green wasn't great last year, but he's experienced, and he uh, if not for an injury at midseason, I think he could have put together a, a really impressive year. Um, and if he builds on that, uh, this should be a pretty a pretty uh, dangerous one. And, and they've been consistently good for a couple of years now since hitting that those skids uh, a couple of years ago. So definitely going to be in the mix no matter what
1: agreed uh jumping across the way another team in green uh, the North Texas mean Green I uh, I didn't want to give um, you know Marshall's quarterback too much credit and I think we're just making green jokes at this point based on everything because he is also a green and Isaiah green but Mason fine uh, North Texas's quarterback is super good he, uh, he threw for almost 3800 yards last year 27 touchdowns. He, you know, kind of epitomizes the, at this point, I think, like, ideal North Texas quarterback. uh, Seth Luttrell has really, you think, done a great job down there turning them into everything that, like, a a Dallas area um, program should be, where, you know, you're going to spread the ball out, you're going to lean on the air raid, and you're going to lean on local talent. Like, North Texas has seemingly just understood that, like, why would you do anything else but you know, spread the ball out and, and, and just lean on those players. Like, you don't have to really try very hard to, to happen into players that are going to plug right into this system. And, you know, this is another team that's going to replace a lot of receiver. Uh, it's going to replace some on the line and pretty much replaces this entire defense. But at the same time, like, North Texas defense-wise, like, they actually looked better last year than they have in a bit. Um, I think they could take a step back here. But with his offense, uh, they should look really good. Uh, I don't want to belabor each of these teams too much. But, yeah, I, I think North Texas is it, – it really is a dead heat between North Texas and Marshall as to you know who the class of this conference is. And they do have a little bit maybe more manageable schedule in the non-conference. Well, maybe not. Sorry. I was, like, misreading. Uh, Abilene Christian at SMU, at Cal, and Houston in the uh, non-conference. So that's certainly not the, uh, the easiest uh, road to hoe necessarily.
0: I think the, the most interesting thing for me uh, with North, North Texas last year, because they were a team I really wanted to bet a lot, um, and I came to find this the hard way, um, they were a terrible bet last year. <laughs> um, they would either like, wreck teams and cover pretty easily, or especially late in the year, teams are just hanging around on them. Even like, Rice was a 30-point line, and you couldn't bet that. North Texas finished, I think, 4-8 and eight against the spread. 4-9, and nine, actually, including the Utah State Bowl game. Um they were nine and four overall, so they were a pretty decent team, but um they let teams really hang in with them, especially as they went on. I think their their last six games they failed to cover. So that's not that important in like the grand team of knowing what this team is all about, but it does show that like they came in the year with pretty high expectations. Latrell was obviously a super trendy name and he had I think he had Kansas State, right? And he turned it down. Reportedly.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what? If you wanna if you wanna be successful, It's not the Kansas State you can't be, because obviously Bill Snyder showed you can. But if you want to show people what you can do and really angle yourself in for for a top-tier Big 12 job or potentially an SEC job, I feel like North Texas is probably a better place to do it.
0: That's very possible. That's a good good debate to have. Um, I just think like... Entering last year, I think we had a lot of hype on them. We thought they were not this big offense. Mason Fine already had a lot of hype. He, you know, They're doing the whole Heisman thing with him this year. He's obviously not going Heisman, but he's going to put up probably pretty crazy numbers. Um, I think they need to just start putting teams away. Um, they they lost to uh, to UAB last year, who obviously is a great story and has been a good team, but North Texas should be better than them. They, they lost to ODU. Um, they got crushed by Utah State, which I believe had already lost um, – their approach uh uh to Texas tech, um Matt Wells. It's uh just it it was a little bit underwhelming, uh considering some of the talent they had last year, but obviously they get they get another shake at it with Luttrell, who who is still, I think, a, a rising name as long as he doesn't stall out here.
1: Yeah, I mean we've talked about this when we talk about Dino Baber's job before. Like, I don't necessarily know like, where he goes, if only because if you think he's a Texas-ish guy, like, there's only so many of those jobs, and none of them are necessarily available at this moment.
0: Yeah, unless Matt Rule leaves, like, one of those major Texas jobs, is, I don't think is going to come open for a while.
1: Yeah, um, And again, like, crazy shit happens all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, someone could go to the NFL, but, like, Jimbo has, you know, his dad he has, like, a chocolate fountain that he can, like, <laughs> slide down to work every day. Um, Herman's very entrenched into just an extension. Obviously, <laughs> Wells is got hired out of tech.
1: Um, Patterson's not going anywhere.
0: No, Rule's probably the one. Um, but, like, if you're not taking Kansas State, like, obviously Baylor, I think, is uh, is a better bet in terms of, like, Success. Um, success, but it's still kind of a mess, and Rule's done a nice job so far there. But uh, I don't know that you necessarily want to take that on if you're not willing to take on Kansas State. Um, so, yeah, he he might have to look elsewhere, maybe, like, if Dundee ever leaves Oklahoma State, maybe that would open in a couple of years, but like he's had hmm. opportunities. It doesn't seem like he's leaving. And he's still, you know, not to make the obvious jokes, he's not that old. So, um, it, it's there just aren't like a ton of opportunities. And all the, all the people, obviously, things intelligible happen, like crazy stuff happens all the time, but they're pretty well settled. Like, and he's not gonna like Oklahoma if Riley leaves, not that kind of coach. So, right. Uh, yeah, it's he's uh, he's betting on himself, and he might have to take a you know, a Babers-ish move if he wants to, to get off that level at some point here.
1: Well, Boston College might be hiring. Who knows?
0: I, I wouldn't love that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would hate I, that. The, the, that would the weirdest fit ever, I would not like that.
1: No, I'd be very much against that. Uh, we have a limited amount of time left, so I think instead of like mowing through each of these teams as fast as possible, maybe instead, um, if we're acknowledging that the top tier is Marshall, North Texas, FIU... Southern Miss. Like who outside of those four could you see competing for a Conference USA championship?
0: Uh Louisiana Peck always hands around. Um it's, it's so funny because like Stip Holtz was just not very good at USA. Anything and, and he's just uh he's just Yeah, he's actually
1: fun, Well I think he can fly under the radar at, at Rustin. Like nobody's gonna like nobody's talking shit at Rustin.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think he's just done a nice job, like really, really solid job of career rehab. And I think he's probably had opportunities to look elsewhere. It's, he's been there long enough, and he's just happy there. And, you know, he, he might end up being, like, the Doc Holiday. He's already in year seven. Um, he might end up being the Doc Holiday of Louisiana, Louisiana Tech, but that's not the worst thing in the world, especially if, like, the the other options, you go take, like, a tough job, and that could end up being it. Like, you, you don't want to do that. So, um, yeah, I think Law Tech, uh, they're always just they're hanging around and – it might take like a weird result or like sneaking into a championship game and then stealing it. Um, But they they wouldn't surprise me terribly.
1: They've done that before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Nice uh, eight and six conference USA champ.
1: I I could see that. Um, I really want to pick UAB, but I think that like we're we're now, I think the reclamation project now, like it's not going to fall off the rails by any means. I think it's actually moving right along. I think the only problem for UAB is just all that experience and depth that you had at the beginning um of of the reboot is now like a lot of it's out of the program so now it's like
0: that crazy influx like like, rare uh just everyone hopped on board because it's a great opportunity at at the start as bad as like the situation was right um but yeah eventually they are going to need to actually rebuild here so uh it could be this year for sure
1: be this year, I, I think I'm still I'm still pretty optimistic to make a bowl because they have to face UTEP and Rice and like a rebuilding UTSA every year, so that's potentially three wins right off the bat. But if I had to pick a team outside that top group, I really want to believe in Old Dominion. But you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go with FAU. I feel like I feel like the Lane train is is about to leave the station. I think he wants to take advantage.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's another one who. Uh, he probably could have jumped after year one if like the right I think he could have lobbied for a job after year one. Um he held on and they they didn't like fall apart last year. They just weren't nearly... like we were talking about them going like eleven and one and they just didn't Well we were last. buying the
1: S we were buying the S P plus We were
0: we kool we, we we were all in we were swimming in Kool-Aid last year. Um, <laughs> and didn't didn't really work out. Um again yeah, they weren't like terrible, they just weren't like great. Um so, yeah, he he is bringing a lot of talent. I think they have Chris Robeson, the former Oklahoma quarterback. Um, they've taken a lot of big transfers. Uh, they will take literally anyone. Um, if you have done anything that isn't, like, to the level of getting kicked out of, of play society, you can go play football at FAU. Um, especially, like, I think he has, like, now both Ray Lewis's kid is transferring there. And this is, they, I don't know if they were in trouble. It's, he's also taking like, sons of NFL players. I think Marshall Falstead is down there running some running back. Oh, no, Frank Gore who has a child playing college when he's playing the NFL is down mm-hmm. there as well. Um, so yeah, he lane is just doing splashy stuff. Um, it worked really well. The first year it, it did not work as well last year. I I still think he will eventually play his way into a bigger job, but I think the process there might have slowed a bit because the team this year could be pretty good, but it's there, not a guarantee.
1: That's fair. Um, as we're closing out here, Dan, what is your prediction uh, for the Conference USA Championship game in brief?
0: Uh, after talking about how like kind of disappointing North Texas was last year, uh, I'm going to go with North Texas out of the West. Um, I just think Fine is, is I think, the, by far the best player in this conference. Um, I think he will get them the West title. Um, I'm going to go with Marshall. I just feel a little better about them than I do the two Florida schools. Um, and I will go North Texas over Marshall in a fun one. I think uh, let's do like a, like an eighty point game.
1: Yeah, I would buy that. I, I think I'll go the same. North Texas over Marshall in a very aesthetically confusing game that will have you guessing which team is which for most of it.
0: And, and Dan, that's how fine. we predicted this lead last year. Uh, you can probably pencil in. Let's go uh, Louisiana Tech, uh, Middle Tennessee.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, one minute left, Dan. Uh, before we sign off. We've been wrong about the finals numerous times to this point. Who wins the NBA finals and in how many games?
0: Oh, God. I think the Raptors end up winning one of these Nets, too. But, like, I would not write off the Warriors. Um, no, I wouldn't either.
1: They really screwed up last night.
0: I don't know. The, I was at a show those last, last
1: five. Night. The last five possessions were just horrendous.
0: I was at a concert last night in New Jersey, and I was on my phone, and I was basically being told the Raptors won, the game's over. Don't bother trying to find a sports bar. Three seconds later, oh, by the way, I was wrong. The Warriors won. I was like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> That's yeah. I I, I was apoplectic as, as a noted Warriors hater, but I I think they're I think Raptors in six. I think they can close it out. The Raptors have won almost every quarter of this series. They've just been by far the better team. Yeah, they've been by far the better team, and it would really be a shame for the Warriors to steal one. But in any case, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Google. We're on a lot of places now. Uh, So, yeah, subscribe, rate us, be nice, or be mean if you really want to. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, and uh, go orange.
0: Go orange to women.